the reason I wanted to show that is the video talks about that we, we have a vision, we have a hope, and we have a future. And those are more than just words. We really do have a vision, we really do have a hope, and we really do have a future. And guess what? We're all, me, you, all of us, we're still writing that future of Crossroads Community Church. And although I truly do love to celebrate the past and the people who have worked tirelessly to make things happen for the kingdom of God and have given us a wonderful place to worship here and enjoy the Lord, I do celebrate that. But we all know this, don't we? We can't live in the past. We can't live in the past. The past can give us a springboard to a wonderful future, but we always have to build a future. And so there's so many things I'm excited about, about uh, Crossroads Community Church. I'm excited about the, the health and life and relationships that are here. I'm excited about all the young people that are here. I'm excited. I, I have pastor friends who pastor churches, and, and uh, they tell me, and they're about my age, and they say, I'm the youngest person in the church I pastor. Well, I want you to know, a church like that doesn't have a real long future ahead. But when you see our worship team and you see the young people come out and you see the children's ministry and you even look around here at the, at the age group, you realize there's a future ahead. There's a future for the kingdom. We keep advancing the kingdom. And we, we need a, a vision and we need a hope and we need a, a future. And, and not just for our church family, although we do need that. We need it for our lives. We need it for our family. We need it for, for what we do. And, but as we focus today, I, I do hope, I'm happy if you'll take this message and apply it to your workplace. I'm happy if you'll take this message and you'll apply it to, to your, uh, your schooling or your future or your family or whatever. Apply it to anything. But I don't want you to miss applying it to your spiritual life. Because ultimately, everything flows out of our spiritual life. The Bible says that we're to guard our heart. Now, our heart's not... I mean, we do call that muscle in our chest a heart. But when the Bible talks about our heart, it talks about our spirit man, the core of who we are, our eternal being. And the Bible says, guard that with, with, with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. When you guard your spiritual life, you'll find out that it spills over into every other area of life. So we want to talk about having that vision. There's... Um, when, when you think about having a vision, you think about casting a vision for something. You want to build a compelling vision. Here's what we should do. Here's why we should do it. I'll tell you, one of my favorite vision casting ads that I've ever seen is from the Pony Express. Now, the Pony Express only lasted a little over a year, and its goal was it was going to get mail and information from Missouri to California. From Missouri to California in as little as, are you ready for it, in as little as 10 days. Wow. And so it was a big deal. And so they needed riders. And I, I always like this thing. I don't know if you can even see that up here, but it says wanted. Underneath there it says young, skinny, wiry fellows. Okay, well, I'm, I don't qualify. Uh, not over 18. Must be expert riders. Now, I love this Willing to risk death daily. That makes you want to get the job done. Willing to risk death daily. And I really like the closing thing. Orphans preferred. Yeah. 
that just really makes you, wow, well, so what, how tough is this job going to be? But it did say $25 a week, and that was big money, big money in the late 1800s when the Pony Express was starting. Pony Express didn't last that long. The telegraph came in, and they could get the message a little quicker than 10 days from Missouri to California. There's another lady who, I, she has one of my favorite quotes. Helen Keller is her name. You probably studied Helen Keller. If you were in school, you studied Helen Keller. Helen Keller in the late 1800s, uh, 19 months of age, she had a childhood illness that took her, took her eyesight and took her hearing. And Ann Sullivan taught her how to speak. Absolutely, if you ever read it, it is mind-boggling. We're talking 1882 when she lost her hearing and lost her ability to speak. So it wasn't like there's a lot of technology. And how Ann Sullivan taught her to speak is just absolutely will blow your mind if you ever get a chance to read it and, and uh, study that. And she had a quote that, she's famous for a lot of quotes, but Helen Keller had this one I love. Helen Keller said this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. So we know the vision is not just eyesight. It's something about the trajectory and the direction of our lives and where we want to go with our life. So today I want to talk about this biblical concept of vision. Just like the, the video said, we have a vision, we have a hope, we have a future. It takes a, a vision and a hope to create a future. And so I, I want us to see how to apply these spiritual concepts to our lives and allow them to spill over in all the other areas as well. So today we're going to talk about the power of vision. Even like the little graphic, the power of vision, because there's this person who's looking down the road because the vision is not just for today, but in the future there's a target so you know where you're going. And he's looking far down because it's a future thing. But part of having a vision or a mission is working on it daily, but it moves you towards a direction. So we're going to go to this go-to Bible verse uh, when it comes to talking about vision. Now, you may not have known this because it's not as popular now, but the 1970s and 80s and 90s and early 2000s, if you went to a self-help training, if you went to some place where they were going to teach you, like maybe teach you about having a vision or, or a mission or, or how to be better at life, there was a belief that if I was trying to convince you of a topic, a secular topic, a business topic, that it would have more credibility, more teeth to it if I would quote you a Bible verse. Did you know that? I mean, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Now, today, people might shy away from that. But back then, they'd say, this will give credibility. I'll quote a Bible verse. Now, Bible verses were often misquoted, or, or that's not fair. They were usually accurately quoted. They just weren't accurately explained of how the Scripture was trying to explain them. So one of the big vision things in the secular world, if you were going to self-help teaching, would be this Proverbs verse, Proverbs 29, 18. And they would quote the King James, which I put on the top line. The parentheses are mine. I added those. So it would actually quote it. It would read like this. They would teach you on how to have a vision. You need to think about what you were, where you want to go in life and what you want to accomplish and who you want to be and what you want to do. And then they would quote, because the Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. That is actually what the Bible says. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But I want to bring it out of the realm of self-help, which I'm not opposed to us helping ourselves, but I want to see what does the scripture actually say about this. 
So I added that because my King James, it says where there is no revelation, and it footnoted in, in my Bible, where there is no revelation or prophetic vision. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. It's interesting because God's trying to, and this would, be, would have been easily understood by people when God's speaking of vision or revelation and you're reading the Bible, he's talking about something spiritual. He's not just talking about what's your great idea for life, but he's saying what's God's great idea for life. And so where there is no prophetic vision, my King James Bible footnoted, where there is no prophetic vision, the people perish. Now you can say, so what do we need to do? Do we need to run around and get a prophet to give us a prophetic vision? Now I believe people really can have words from the Lord they share with people. But I want to tell you, we have a sure word of prophecy. Jesus is our sure word of prophecy. We have this called the Bible. And it is, in, in the Old Testament it says, holy men of old spake, this is the King James, holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And in the New Testament, we read in Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful and tells what all it's useful for. So we have sure words from the Lord right here. Now, the NIV says this, where there is no, and I added the parenthesis word, divine, where there is no divine revelation. I added those things again because I want you to see this isn't just, I had a revelation. No, we want a divine revelation. We want a prophetic vision. We want a word from the Lord. And again, we got lots of words from the Lord right here. And so then the, it says, where there is no divine revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. There's something about the world, well, about human nature, not just the world, but human nature. We don't like being told what to do. We, we want to do what we want to do. You want somebody to touch this table, then paint it and put a sign on it, wet paint, do not touch. And there'll be something in us, I just got to touch that. Well, that paint's wet. Well, who would have thunk it, you know? But there's something in it, in us, so we got to test everything and try everything. We don't like restraints. We don't like guidelines. We don't like parameters put on our lives. But the Bible says that when we have a divine revelation from God, we can be happy, or we can cast off restraint. When we cast off restraint, because there's something about us, well, nobody's going to tell me what to do, but it just doesn't work well, because life is meant to be lived with restraint, with guards, with guidelines, with parameters, with boundaries. I don't know if it's every year, but it probably is. People fall off the side of the Grand Canyon to their death. And the places that they're less likely to fall off is where there are boundaries, where they build a fence. But the Grand Canyon is so huge that they don't have enough fencing all the way around it, so people end up falling off because nobody's going to tell me what to do. I was at the Grand Canyon not too many years ago with a buddy of mine. We were on a motorcycle ride, and... and um, there was a dad and his kids, and they had gone past the boundaries out on these rocks. And, I mean, the fall to their death, we'll just say it was right here at the edge of the stage. They were running around here, and there's these little kids. They're about six, just flopping around. I'm going, man, I cannot take this. The more I watch, the more <laughs> just it's getting weak in my knees. Like, i got to get out of here because I can't stand watching them as they're just, you know, jumping around and 
As far as I know, none of them fell to their death, but it still was like, wow, how, I think maybe the, the boundary was meant for something. Like maybe you ought not take your six-year-old kids over there to play around because people fall to their deaths. We don't like restraints. But my two favorite quotes are this, a train is never more free than when it's on the tracks. Now, if we turned a train into a person, it said, bless God, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to jump off these tracks. Have you ever seen a train off the tracks? It's stuck. It's not going nowhere. It was much more free when it stayed on the tracks. There's another little quote that says, he who is the slave of the compass can enjoy the freedom of the seas. There are ways that you can get around if you will limit yourself to, now we would say to your GPS system and to your tracking system, you can get around. You can throw it away, and you probably will perish out in the open ocean because you won't know where, how to get around and where you're going. So there are, there's wisdom to restraints. Then the NLT, the New Living Translation, gets it right here. I don't have to add anything. When people do not accept divine guidance. Thank you, NLT, for throwing in divine. Because, again, there's a time where when people read vision or revelation, they would have understood it meant divine. But now they have to add it. Divine guidance. When people do not accept divine guidance, they do what? Run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. Now, we know from the scriptures that's not telling us to obey the, the Jewish law that Peter and all them said we and our forefathers couldn't keep the law, so why should we put that on the Gentiles? But Jesus did have divine guidance and law, and in fact, he told us how you want to keep the law? We're going to see that in just a minute, how you can keep the law by two commands from Jesus. So there's key principles for clarifying God's vision for your life and for our church family. If you want to see clearly, if you want the fog to lift, there's two things. The first thing and the most important thing is God's word. We have to know God's word. We have to know God's word. The number one feeder to the cults are church people who don't know God's word. That's the truth. Darlene and I were on TBN for years hosting. We hosted many people who came out of cults and they came out of a church world and they realized that most of the cults, the the sanctuaries are filled with people who they have a certain belief in God and they have a belief in the Bible and somebody in the cult says, but the Bible says this, and they go, oh my goodness, honey, it does say this, but they don't know the whole counsel of God. They're not wise in the Lord, in the word of God. So we need to get wise in the word of God. We need to understand the word of God. The second thing is prayer. But prayer always needs to have us balanced through the word of God. As I jokingly say, everyone hears God on a new car lot. If you've ever been to a new car lot and you look around, you open the door and you smell that, ah, that new leather, and all of a sudden you can just hear the Holy Ghost speaking. My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He wants to bless you. You're going to have more than enough. And so you, you, you hear the Lord. So you could pray, should I get this car? You'll hear God almost every time. Say, Absolutely, you should get that car. You better believe it. Or not that one. You need to upgrade. Had a situation. I can't believe it didn't work out well for me. I should have struck the middle while it was hot. Darlene and I talked her into going into the Harley dealership with me. And back then they had this bike that was very expensive that I liked. Well, they're all expensive. It's called the Breakout. It's a beautiful bike. And so I'm looking there and I'm 
Darlene probably saw a little bit of saliva coming out of my mouth as I was looking at it. And I said, man, I love that bike. Now, salesman standing there right with me. And you know what words came out of Darlene's mouth when I said, I like that bike? She said this, if you like that bike, honey, get it. I about fell out in the spirit. And so it was green, though, and I didn't want green. And so I said to the salesperson, hey, if you can get this to me in black and silver, then you got a sale. And he said, yeah, I don't think I could find one like that. I said, what do you mean you can't find one like that? It's, it's, a, it's the premier color of that bike. Yeah, it'd be hard. And so we walk out of there not, not buying the bike. I should have recorded that, though, so I could play that anytime I looked at the bike. Click. You want it, honey? Get it. So anyway, <laughs> so I walked out of there without that bike. Prayer is so vital, but we need the word of God and prayer. We need the word of God and prayer. If you can't pay your light bill, you don't need to be buying a new car. You got that? that and, and God would instruct you in that. There may be a time where that will happen, but it's not right now. So you need the word of God. So Jesus gives us some clear direction what our mission should be as believers. Now, first of all, I want to keep it on just a personal level in our walks with God because the church is the people of God. We're the church. And so if we, the people of God, are catching the mission and vision of God for our lives, then the church will catch its mission and vision. And so we have to go before God and say, Lord, what is your instruction and will and guidance for me and my ministry? Now, I want you to hear that. What is God's mission and vision for you and your ministry? Now, you might be saying, well, I'm not in ministry. Oh, I beg to differ. You're in ministry. Everybody's in ministry. Now, ministry is kind of a churchy term, so we say, well, I thought ministers were like pastors and traveling evangelists and, or gospel singers that went around or, or missionaries to the other side of the world. No, God's people are in ministry. God has good works or good ministry for you to do that he prepared for you to do before the foundation of the world. That's how old your assignment is. And you are here for such a time as this. It's not a mistake that you were born here and at this time because you have a ministry, you have good works to do. Now, that doesn't mean that you'll be a pastor or a missionary or whatever, but you can be used by God. I'd say it was about the 1970s would be my guess. Larry Shelp can confirm this, where there began to be a move of God through Cummins Engine Company. Was that like the 70s? And Larry was a part of that and others who began to say, hold it, I don't have to be a missionary on the other side of the globe. I don't have to be, you know, an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. I can fulfill my ministry right where I'm at. And so people at Cummins began to get on fire for God and share their faith. And, and many, 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 many people uh, came to know Jesus Christ in that revival that hit a, a factory. Hmm. So don't just credit yourself or don't disqualify yourself for being in ministry. You are in ministry. Plumber, school teacher, homemaker, whatever, you're in ministry, and God wants to use you for his glory, and we need to know, okay, how, how do you want to do that? So as we look at mission today, 
which is more what we're supposed to do. Then we want to catch a glimpse of vision, which is how do you do the what? How am I supposed to do the what? I am supposed to make an impact for people with my life for Jesus. But that's going to be different for every one of us. That's my mission. But what's our vision? How, how am I supposed to make that happen? How are you supposed to make that happen? Because God has a plan to use you. Now, I know you may say to yourself, that's a bad plan. I think that when I read the Bible. I read the Bible. You ever read about these disciples Jesus picked? You think, did you really pray all night before you picked these guys? And he picked these guys, and then he gets these guys together, and he says, now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go win the world. I'll read that. I've told Darlene this before. I'm reading that, and I'll say, that's a horrible idea. And she'll say, would you quit saying God had a horrible idea? Well, it just seems like a horrible idea because I've got to know these guys from reading the scripture. They're not going to get it done. But guess what? Still getting it done. Still got the Holy Spirit moving. So he's going to use regular old people like me and you, like Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and all those folks. He's going to use us through the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our world. So let's see, as we look at mission and vision, all these things came from Jesus. All these things are found in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, I want you to focus with me, because I want you to be asking yourself, how can I apply this to my life? How can I apply this to my life? So Jesus is talking in Matthew 6. He's telling people there's a lot of stuff to worry about. There's a lot of stuff to fret about. There's a lot of stuff to pour your energy and time into trying to figure out. He said, instead of doing that, why don't you do this? Seek first. Didn't say seek only. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Now, that's a powerful verse because if we expanded it out, we would find out that Jesus is saying the unbelievers are worrying about all kinds of stuff. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? And we could probably expand it, and I don't think Jesus would say that that would be wrong. Where are we going to live? Where are we going to work? What's our job going to be? What, 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 what? And he says, hold on. Those may be all good things, but if you'll seek first the kingdom and you'll seek first his righteousness, all the things the unbelievers are running after, let, uh, hear me, all the things the unbelievers are running after will be given to you as well. Did you, I, I don't know if you caught the power of that. Jesus did not say, all the things the unbelievers are running after, you don't need them. Don't worry about them. They're not for you. He said, no, all the stuff the unbelievers are running out will be given to you as well. If you'll focus first, not only, but focus first on his kingdom and his righteousness. Why? Because you should guard your heart with all diligence, your spirituality, for out of it flows the issues of life. Everything gets impacted by our spirit because our spirit's eternal. So in Matthew 22, someone trying to trap Jesus comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The goal really was, whatever he said, to blast him and make him look stupid. I will tell you this right now, you will never make Jesus look stupid. Too smart, too sharp, 
all-knowing, eternal, he's wise, it's not going to happen. People say this. Well, I'll tell you what. Because they're mad at God about something. I get it. We've all been mad about something with God. He's big enough to handle it. And they'll say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to ask this, and I'm going to do that. And I think, no, you're not. And I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to fall on your face as though dead before God, the creator of the universe. And you're going to realize you're super outclassed, you're super outsmarted, and the, the best thing for you to do would be not to say anything. So he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. In other words, if you love God with all you got and you love your neighbor like you love yourself, you'll, you'll obey everything. You'll obey it all. So there's some mission for us. Good little assignment. In Matthew 28, the resurrected Jesus gets the disciples together. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It is totally implied in these verses that it's then moved from him to us, which we also learn in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, that authority has been given to us as well. It says, therefore, since this is true, that all authority has been given to me and I'm delegating it to you, therefore go. I don't want to miss the go part because, uh, you know, there's some, we could say this. Well, people want to know about Jesus. We've been here for 50 years. Bless God, they can come here and find out. Well, but the mission of Jesus wasn't come and sit. It was go. Now, there's nothing wrong with coming and sitting so we can learn how to go. But it's Go. Therefore, go and make disciples. Disciples are fully devoted followers. He said, I want you to make devoted followers. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So a biblical mission and a biblical vision summary is this. From the lips of Jesus in the book of Matthew, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. So put that on your to-do list. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Second, love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. See, we're only two in and I'm already nervous. I'm two in and I'm gone. Lord God, how are we going to do this? By the power of the Holy Spirit and his presence. We're going to have to call on him every day <laughs> to help us. You, it's hard to love anything with everything you've got. It's most certainly hard to love your neighbor like you would love you. So you need the help of the Lord. And then the third mission vision summary would be go make disciples, baptize those new believers and teach them to obey. Now, be careful. We want to teach them to obey what Jesus said. Not what you think, what I think, what my idea is. But what did Jesus say? We want to teach people to obey what Jesus said. Now, here's our challenge. How do we orient our lives? How do we work the rhythm of our days into such a way that we can do this 
without it turning into a part-time job. You know what I'm saying? Now, how do we do that? We've got this godly mission, this godly vision from God, but how do we orchestrate our lives to make it work? Because most people honestly aren't going to say, well, I can get this done. I just need to get up six hours before work or before school and put all this stuff into practice. No, there's got to be a way that we integrate what God teaches us into our daily rhythm and flow of life. So, how do we do that? I do believe that we need to set aside some time to dig into God's word, which is what you're doing right now. Set aside some time to dig into God's word. And I really challenge you when you come together on Sunday morning, pay attention. You, you may have a mind that wonders, and you've got to keep bringing it back on track. Just keep bringing it back on track. Train yourself to pay attention. If you ever have the urgence, the, the, what word do I want to say? If you ever have the desire to not pay attention, would you please not watch the ceiling fan? That's one of my favorite things. I know when I've lost people because I'll be talking, they'll be gone. And I'm thinking, that's pretty sad, Tracy. You need to get better because that ceiling fan is more interesting than what you're saying right now. So I need, you know, at least feign like you're paying attention, okay? But if you can, train yourself to pay attention. I'll tell you some things to help you pay attention. Bring a little notepad or your smart device and jot down some notes. Or, or if you have questions, I welcome questions. No one ever asked them, but I welcome them. You can ask me questions like, this didn't make sense to me, or what about this, or what about that? You can ask questions. You can learn. You can grow. You can attend Sunday school. That's things you can do. You can, you can get a great Christian book to read. By the way, there's, there's more great Christian books to read than you and I can read in our lifetime. So don't waste your time on a junky Christian book. Find a really great Christian book or a great devotional. But most of these things, like seeking first the kingdom of God, loving him, loving our neighbor, it can kind of flow in with our lives. We can watch our lives and say, okay, I can do this, I can do that. Here's, here's some ways I can do this. You don't have to set aside specific hours for that. It just goes with life. But I am challenging us to spend some time in God's word, again, like you're doing right now. Growing doesn't have to be crazy time-consuming. It just has to be part of our flow of life. Because growing's just done step by step and inch by inch. A huge part of our faith life can be developed just as we do life. Now, every illustration falls apart, but there's little people. You, you watch little people. Like I see Grant over here. He didn't start out that size, and one day he'll look you eye to eye and maybe have a full beard and say, how are you doing today? And you go, wow, who is this kid? You know what, just, he just grew inch by inch and little by little over time. That's why we need to do spiritually too. Just keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. Sometimes people think, how, how am I going to do all this? Where am I going to find the time? Well, I'm going to help you. I shared this with you a few weeks ago. My oldest son, Sean, and I, he was home for some reason, and we were watching TV together. And so we're watching something on TV. And in case you don't know this, just about everything you watch on TV is made up. Did, did, I'm serious about this. Did you know this? You know those reality shows that you're watching? They're made up? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in there. I mean, I read a whole thing on Reader's Digest on it years ago, you know, about how 
they set up different things. It's not nearly as a reality show as you think it is. And so it's all made up. So Sean and I are watching TV, and I looked at the TV, and I looked at him, and I said, Sean, do you ever look at the TV set and just say, what a colossal waste of time? I said, here we are. We have real lives. We're sitting in here and watching these make-believe lives. And we're investing our real life into watching these make-believe lives that aren't even real. And then Sean said, I think about that all the time. And I'm not joking, I wish I were. We watched TV for another two or three hours. Just sat there and watched it all. Let our real life do nothing while we watch these make-believe lives. Interesting. So I used to talk about this a lot, but that got me thinking. There's so much screen time available today. used to just ask, how much do people watch TV? But now, everybody's got a TV in their pocket. They've got a, a smartphone, a tablet, a computer. And so I just this week looked up some stuff, and I decided to use the smallest amount. The average U.S. adult watches three hours of TV per day, okay? And spends three hours and 18 minutes per day on screen time. And by the way, they made it clear, this is for entertainment. This isn't, well, yeah, but I'm an accountant. I work at a job where I have to stare at a computer all day long. No, we're, we're so the average American is spending six hours and 18 minutes per day viewing some kind of screen. So I started thinking, what would happen if we got up seven days a week and spent 15 minutes devoted to a devotional process? I mean, really not getting s- sidetracked. That would add up to one hour and 45 minutes a week. What if we came to Sunday school and to church? I know that's crazy. It's just out there. I know it's wild thought. We would spend a whole, in our environment, about two and a half hours in church on a Sunday. It's actually less than that, but I rounded up to two and a half. And what if we said, I'm going to invest my life in ministry somewhere. It wouldn't even have to be here. There's plenty of opportunities here, but there's Love Chapel, and there's Clarity, and there's Salvation Army, and there's lots of ministries around the community as well. And if you devoted two hours every week to volunteering in a ministry, the total weekly time, if you never skipped a moment, would be six hours and 15 minutes per week, which is three minutes less than the average U.S. adult spends on screens per day. Did you catch that? So anytime I always think, man, you know, I'd really love to work out, but where would I find the time? I go, oh, man, I've researched too much stuff. I know where I'd find the time. Shut off the TV set. Where am I going to have time to have a devotional or to pray or to do whatever? Shut off the TV set. You may say, I don't even watch TV. Now, I do golf four times a week, but I don't watch TV. There's usually something that's involving our time because you and I have 168 hours every week. 168 hours every week God gives us. So here's our assignment. I didn't say not to watch TV. There's some, at least I think there's some good wholesome TV out there. Darlene and I can't seem to find it. We turn on something and go, oh my goodness. And the language and the stuff, do you ever notice that? You may say, I'm cold to it. I've heard it so much. But the, the language, the, the lifestyle, all that's going on, it may be kind of hard to find something wholesome to watch, but you don't have to give it all up. So our assignment is to start today developing a plan for spiritual growth. That, that's today, not tomorrow. 
not next week. One thing that's so important about starting today is this. If you don't start today, next Sunday you'll be here and go, what did we talk about last week? So start today. And attach yourself to God's mission and God's vision for your life. And not just for your life, but for this beautiful church that we call home. So we have a vision, we have a hope, we have a future. Let's go for it. Let's go for it in God. Let's just do it. Let's say, hey, God, what do you have for my life? What is it you want me to do? I want your revelation, your vision, your wisdom. So it's a great prayer point for us to begin to pray and ask the Lord, help help me understand your will for my life, how your mission needs to be played out of my life for your glory.